0: QAV, the investing podcast. This is the free episode of 643. If you're brand new, welcome. My name's Cameron Riley. This is a show I do with my friend Tony Kynaston, who's a very experienced value investor. And he has a methodology called Quality at Value, where we buy shares in good quality companies when we can get them at the right value. And that's what we talk about, how to do that on this show. On the free episode this week, we're going to be talking about the fact that the Australian market has just gone into a technical correction, why we believe in staying fully invested. CCP, Credit Corp, massively collapsed last week, lo- losing about 30% of its value overnight. And we talk about how and why. We talk about some stats that we're tracking, our new three-point trend line sells and how that number jumped this week and what that may portend for the future. Tony does a deep dive on Regis Resources, RRL, and we talk about the performance versus the benchmark of AFI. So let's jump into it. Welcome back to QAV. This is episode 643, TK. It's been another dismal Mm. week on the ASX. Tony, uh, market has been down yet again, ticking up a little bit today, but uh, not
1: not making much of an impact on... The week, Thank goodness it has ticked up today because today's the anniversary of Black Tuesday in 2007 when the U.S. stock market overnight dropped 20% in one session. Oh, mm.
0: 2007. That was uh, – thought well, the GFC wasn't until 2008. What, what was – No, it started and in 2007.
1: 2007. But- yep. I'm not sure what the right. catalyst would have been, but it was probably going to be something like uh, Lehman Brothers not being bailed out Lehman. or – there was the bank in the UK, which also wasn't bailed out and went broke. Northern Rock, I think it was called, something like that. Yes, yeah. And so then
0: Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac and all of those yeah. came
1: later. And Alan, I don't know if – I just happened to have the ABC News on last night when I got in at 7.30, and Alan Cole does his shtick on – at the end of the news on the business, and he showed a graph of this year versus 2007, and it's, you could overlay one graph on the other. And this was really? leading up to yesterday before Wall Street opened. So it was like, I woke right. up this morning and went, phew, <laughs> history didn't repeat.
0: <laughs> right. Well, I'm looking at the one-year chart. The ASX is almost back to where it was a year ago. Mm-hmm. If I look at a two-year chart, it's down about 10% from where it was two years ago. A five-year chart, it's up a little bit, maybe 10 percent from where it was five years ago, but it's uh, you know, not not a great looking chart, that's for sure.
1: Yeah. Well I thought you're gonna cheer me up today after <laughs> after all the problems in the market.
0: No, no, no cheering up to be done, Tony. I saw in the ABC yesterday Australian share market moves into a technical correction as war and inflation realities hit home. Technical correction There's a bit of a financial markets jargon for a market fall from a recent peak of 10% or more. ASX 200 hit an all-time high of 7,628 August 13, 2021, and a peak of 7,558 on February 3rd this year. But as of yesterday, it had fallen 10% since then. Not sure what today's slight gains mean but uh yeah it's been a been a hell of a couple of years
1: yeah and and we were talking off air before about how this reminds me of the gfc and we had an accelerated version of this going into covid uh and i guess the process helps us through all this but it's just hard losing money while you're waiting for it to go to cash and find things to buy and it it could be a long way off I, i just don't know but um yeah i mean good to have some more some more levity and uh I guess you know, put things in perspective. At least we're not in Gaza at the moment, or um, Ukraine, or you know, out of job, out of work, or whatever. So it's uh, we're complaining about losing a bit of paper money, which is um, puts it in perspective. I think.
0: Well, how do you cheer yourself up in times like this, Tony? Okay. Apart from giving yourself play, perspective,
1: play more golf. <laughs> <laughs>
0: now that you're the golf booze, you can't even.
1: <laughs> Drink to cheer yourself up. Well, probably concerned. a good thing during these times. I might, try, might drink myself yeah. to, to forget. But um, yeah. anyway, look at Alex's art. It always, always cheers me up.
0: Hello, Alex. Welcome to the show. Yeah, oh, thank you. <laughs> hey, hello. It's a nice thing of your dad to say, looking at your art cheers you up. Yeah. Yeah, I sort it's nice. Thank you. <laughs> not, we were- not looking at you, yeah. just looking at your art. No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I thought he would have led with that myself, but you know.
1: Alex knows as soon as she and I get into a room, we just giggle away, don't we? (laughs) Just giggle at each other. other
0: (laughs) Well, you are very funny looking, I must say. The two of you amuse me no end. Uh, Yeah, there's a lot of gnashing of teeth out there in QAV land, Tony, and I get it. I did a post yesterday about staying fully invested. And again, going back to those studies about you know if you're not invested in the 10 best days, what it does to your returns, and the 20 best days. Somebody sent me an email and said, yeah, but what if you're not invested in the worst 20 days? Mm -hmm. It sort of accused me of cherry-picking the (laughs) data. and I said, well, that's a good point. That's a fair point. But I think my reading of all of these studies is that what people tend to do is we have the worst days, and then they capitulate after the worst days. It's not like you can predict the worst days and you get out before the worst days happen. Although maybe there can be bad days and you get out and then the worst days come later on. But I don't know. Do you think there's any merit in the idea of just capitulation and missing out possibly on the worst days as well as the best days and it all
1: balancing itself out over the long run? Well, it probably does balance out with both strategies staying in and staying out (laughs) and trying to pick it. But yeah, it's, I think it's a fool's game trying to pick the market. Um, uh, it that probably does make sense that the market, if you look at the 20 worst days in the market, they've been pretty horrific. And if you're in there, you're suffering. And shareholders of Credit Corp last week would know how that feels, unfortunately. Uh, so, yeah, it, there might be some merit in that. But, yeah, luckily, the well, at least for me anyway, the, I got out of Credit Corp the day before it dropped because it crossed its three-point trend line sell, uh, which was probably as much of, as luck as good management. But, but, yeah, following the rules helps in this Kind of time, I think, uh, because it takes the emotion out of it.
0: Yeah. Um, so, if a, I'm sure everyone did see this, but CCP collapsed last week, um, just after you said it was probably the one stock you would buy and hold onto for ten years. I don't know if that had anything to do with it. Um, <laughs> Good but timing. yeah, across the three point sell line. I sold it from my own portfolio and the QAV portfolios, and then the next day it dropped. I think like 30%, maybe another 8% the day after. Um, I've got a quote here from somewhere. CCP was the worst large cap today, down 30% after revealing an anticipated 14% impairment of the carrying value of its U.S. purchased debt ledge assets. The impairment is estimated to produce a one-off reduction in CCP's NPAT of $45 million. Credit Corp said the impairment has arisen from a sustained deterioration in collection conditions. I mean, it seemed like a bit of an overreaction. I mean, I, I went back over CCP's history because I knew, I know you've talked about this um, when we've talked about CCP over the years. I think you've said before that uh, the CEO tends to under um, under promise. promise and over deliver. Yeah and if i look back even over the last 5 years they've had a lot of big dips a lot uh, beginning in april 22 they were trading at 30 bucks um by june 22 they dropped down to 19 so that's a 30% drop again then it recovered then it declined again recovered up to 24 then declined down to 17 uh, sort of from august to october so they've had lots of yeah, uh, you know, I mean, obviously, leaving aside March 2020 when it dropped from 37 bucks down to nine dollars 80, um, and then recovered back up to 33, they seem to have a lot of, uh, quite a few big dips and recoveries over the last couple of years. But what do you what do you think about a, a one off impairment contributing to a you know, nearly 40 percent decline in a matter of days? Is that an overreaction or is that a reasonable reaction?
1: Well, it depends how you, you know, what point of view you come from. I think it's an overreaction. However, um, I called it a 10 year stock last week and it dropped. Um, my, I'll, give, I'll give you my thinking for the 10 year stock. And I'm, I, this isn't in no me no, this is by no means me trying to justify that position. I'm happy to admit that I was wrong uh, with my timing on this one. However, I've seen Credit Corp and own Credit Corp over the last 20 odd years. Um, Thomas Barigi, the guy who runs it, I think is one of the best CEOs I've seen. There's probably only three or four people I put in that camp. People like Anthony Scar- uh, Anthony Scarly from Nick Scarly, uh, maybe the the I think it's the Wilson brothers who run Rees, uh, or the Wilson family who run Rees. The uh, person who runs ARB, who I, the names escapes me for the moment. But anyway, there's not many top tier. CEOs that I would look at and say they're a good CEO, and my criteria is that they've been there for a long time through thick and thin, so they've grown up and down with the industry, uh, rather than just sort of parachuting in for their four or five year stint from a different CEO position and then leaving with a golden handshake. Um, and they they've been, I guess, like I'll call it transparent and honest with their shareholders. They they tend to overpromise and underdeliver. They tend to quickly tell you if there's a problem. They tend to take that kind of punishment on the share price on the chin, but they write it out. Uh, and if I look at, I guess, my perspective on CCP and its share prices, if you look going back to the GFC, before the GFC, it was trading around $12 a share. It dropped down to as low as $0.42 cents in the bottom of the GFC. So if you had bought it then, um, it got up as high as $35 before COVID hit. So that's a, you know nearly 100 times increase in the share price in that, uh, in that period. And it did decline though during COVID back to $13, um, which it recovered from somewhat. And now it's back around those levels now. So it's, it's definitely a volatile stock. And I think what tends to happen with CCP is people say it's not a good stock to own during a recession or a downturn in the economy. And that's certainly what they've um, flagged happened in the US. So and this is actually an alarm bell. I think it, it's possibly a, a red flag on the U.S. economy. But what they said was that people are walking away from their debt repayment plans in the U.S. So um, the way this business works is they buy you know, debt ledgers from companies like banks or credit card providers. And typically what happens is the, the bank or the credit card provider or the telco or the utility has decided it's too expensive for them to collect the last, say, 20% of people who owe them money. They, they put resources into call centers, et cetera, to, to get most of the bills repaid, but then they just give up and they sell off the rump and then Credit Corp buys it and other companies like Credit Corp. And they go out and uh, try and collect as much as they can from that money. So they're only paying usually pennies in the dollar to buy the debt ledger because they won't collect a whole heap because some people just can't afford to pay. Some people they'll have trouble even tracking down, um but the way Credit court works, and which I've always um had a lot of admiration for is they they talk to the customers and they work out a plan and then they um you know they try and support the customer in achieving that plan and giving them some slack when they can um and then even to the point where over time they have a good credit history or picture of this customer, and then they can actually lend that customer money, which is a growing stream of their business so you know that's that's far removed from the sort of mental picture I had of a debt collector when I was, bef- you know, starting out before I bought shares in CCP twenty odd years ago, where I, you know, I thought people were going around with baseball bats and forcing people to to make their repayments or you know, under threat of physical pain or sending the sheriff around to repossess assets or whatever. And that's not what CCP does. So they've been quite um, quite good and quite fair in this space. But what happens when people say? look, I just can't abide by my debt repayment plan, as they have in the US, and they're walking away. I guess the impact on the person is in the US in particular is their credit score goes down, but it was already down because they fell into into arrears with their credit card statement or whoever they owed money to, a bank or um, a utility. Uh, But it gets worse if if Credit Corp then lists them as being a write-off. So it does have an impact for people over there, but it's at the stage now where the Impact on their credit score is is not worth trying to repay Credit Corp on the repayment plan. So I'm going to draw the analogy that that's a bit like when people were just re- handing back their their house keys to the bank during you know, pre GFC when they were just going, look, I'm underwater on my mortgage. It's not worth me trying to even ride this through. Here, have the keys back. So I think it's a real canary in the coal mine for the U.S. Uh, economy, which is like. Which is one risk, I suppose, and credit corp, you know, will therefore have difficulty collecting money if things do go into a recession in the U.S. And I think that's what's probably driving the the share price decline at the moment. However, they will come through it, and they will. Um, what tends to happen is it either the banks will stop selling off their distressed lists until the economy rights themselves and they can get some money for them, or credit corp can buy them for a really really cheap price, and then. It almost sit on them for a couple of years and then collect outsized margins when um, the economy turns up again eventually and they can collect money from people. Um, but it's just that intervening period when we're going into decline until we come out of the decline that people don't want to own credit court. Um, so my my sort of feeling is that it's one to watch. When it does turn up again, it'll probably have outsized returns. And my evidence for that is the GFC in COVID. When when you are getting. 50 times sort of returns by holding it for five or 10 years after those events, particularly the GFC. In terms of the one-off payment to your question, Cam, the one-off impairment, sorry, it's a a non-cash item. And basically what it means is that they paid all this money for debt ledgers in the US and are now saying that uh, they're, they're worth less because going into the market for new ones, they're paying less. And also too, they're saying, well, we just can't recover the kinds of, um, debt repayments we can to justify the price that we bought it at and so they're writing it down on their balance sheet as an asset and the only way to do that is to take a paper hit to your PNL because of the double bookkeeping you're paying money to write down an asset it's got to come from somewhere it comes from the p but there's been no dollars changing hand in the real world no cash changing hand so operating cash flow isn't effective which is what we focus on um so probably the more important thing is that they've highlighted that they think that their income from the US debt collections will be ten million dollars less than um, they originally focused or they originally um, told the market last time they made um, disclosures so but they're still saying they expect to collect between eighty and ninety million dollars um, in impact from the US uh, down from ninety to one hundred so it you know, it's not again. It's not the end of the world as it currently stands, but people are extrapolating that forward. They're saying if people are walking away from their debt repayments, it's going to get worse. If it gets worse, there could be more write downs, etc., cetera, etc. So it's a kind of a, it's um, people, I think the big end of town is saying let's get out of credit corp until things settle down in the economy, particularly in the US, and we we can see it coming through the other side. Well, let's hope they're wrong. Well I think I'm right. I think Thanks. I think the share price you know will well if the US economy doesn't go bust and it's looking like it may um then uh, well I mean it's always a two edged sword right? I mean that's that's the second point I wanted to raise during this discussion is that um we're really in an era of of the economy being driven by central banks and if if the US economy does deteriorate quickly uh, then the central banks will cut interest rates. And that may be a good thing for the stock market. won't be necessarily a good thing for Credit Corp, but it you know, will be a good thing for the stock market. So it's really hard to predict the secondary effects of what's going on in the economy at the moment. But I think the, the fact that people are walking away from their repayments is a bad sign for the bottom end of the economy in the US. Now, I guess the third point mm-hmm. I wanted to make when I was doing my analysis of all this was Credit Corp had been in decline for a couple of months prior to their announcement. So that, to me, says either someone was very savvy as an investment analyst and worked out that customers in the US were walking away from their repayment plans, or there's been a leak somewhere. Um, so I think there might be... you know, I, I tend to think ASIC is bloody awful at, at monitoring disclosure, and I think Credit Corp is very good at coming forward as quickly as they can, but clearly someone used something in the months preceding up to this um, decline and either the smart money did well or uh, there was a leak. And, you know, you'd have to think that at the management meeting a month before um, the disclosure, they were seeing the trend starting to appear, not saying that, uh, you know, they should have disclosed then or that anyone did anything bad. And I haven't seen any selling by directors or anything like that, but, you know, potentially someone um, in, in the company told a mate who told a mate and started uh, selling their shares. But um, yeah, it's that that in itself was a bit of a flag as well that something bad was coming.
0: Yeah, um, I mean, I know it's been declining for the last six months. I'm just overlaying its chart with the STW chart. Um, yeah, it certainly has declined a lot more than the STW over that period of time, which has declined, like, CCP's been declining since January 22, and it was trading at, uh, what's that, there 30, 33 bucks?
1: Yeah. Now have a look at the last couple of months. I think it started to really turn down before the big drop last week. Yeah,
0: yeah. It was uh, trading at about 20 bucks back in July 23, It's dropped down to 12 bucks. As you said, it's like halved since then. Mm. But uh, yeah, I mean, it started to decline, you know, February 22 when Ukraine war broke out. So when the markets started to tumble around, so it seems to have been tied with that and hasn't recovered since. Well, speaking of market indicators, you know, for the last. Five or six weeks each week when we put out the buy list, um, I've been doing this chart tracking the number of new buys, well, the number of buys on our buy list versus the number of new three-point trendline sells, versus the number of Josephines that are on our buy list. And it's been tracking along fairly steady until this week when the number of three-point trendline sales really spiked from the previous week. There was about uh, th- 29 or 30 of them on the 16th of October jumped up to over 60 this week, three-point trend line sells. So uh, the buys declined a little bit, but it's relatively steady. It's, they've been sitting between sort of 70 and 80 buys over the last six weeks. Um, the Josephines have been relatively steady between 30 and 40 Josephines, but the three-point trend line sells really spiked i don't know what i read into that if
1: anything well i mean i think it's we're just painting a picture now The asx is down Um, companies like credit corp have have signaling hard times in the u.s Um, the share price graph this year looks like it did in 2007 i mean i would think the odds of a u.s recession in particular are increasing every day and i guess that was um you know I know there's some questions about this later, but that's the point I wanted to raise today too. If this is really bothering people, um, you know, if you've got debt, certainly think about putting money into an offset account or buying down debt. If you're going into the market at this stage, I'd be, um, I wouldn't be going in all on one day. I'd be, like, if you've just retired or something and you're putting money into your super account to, to invest, I'd be doing it um, via dollar cost averaging over a twelve month period, something like that. Um the trend at the moment isn't our friend. So if people are, you know, if it's making people unhappy or, or they're not feeling confident, then, you know, by all means, take some money off the table. Um, you may miss out on the on the upturns or you may have some money still in the market and you get benefits from that. But there's no point making yourself sick over this. It's, it's yeah. what the market does.
0: You've got to be able to sleep at night, right? Yeah, yeah. exactly. If you don't have the stomach for it. Don't make yourself sick.
1: And, it, and it, 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 it's like, it's no sign of weakness not to have the stomach for this. It's, it's not a great time to be in the market. Uh, experienced people have seen it before, but if you're new to it, I understand completely.
0: All right. Well, that's all I have in my uh, notes. All right. Should I do a pulled pork? Okay. are you pulling today, Tony?
1: <laughs> pulling up, hopefully, not pulling down. Yeah, Regis Resources. Um, so the code is RRL. And the reason for doing it is it's a large ADT stock. It has something like $6 million traded per day. So very large stock. It's just come back on the buy list today. just snuck up above its um, three-point trend line. As of this morning, I haven't checked the market today for it, but it was on the way up yesterday and today. Uh, And it makes sense because uh, I've seen this happen before to my investments in these kind of times The gold price rises as people, again, try and get out of share markets and find an asset to park their money in. Um, Historically, it's been gold. Some people argue it's crypto at the moment, but I don't buy that. It's gold, um, or it could be bonds, or it could be um, real estate or whatever, or cash. That's the other point I think I should have made when I was talking before about um, if you're feeling unloved by the market and want to rest, um, you're getting 5% yield by putting your money into a three-month term deposit um, or if you have an offset account against your mortgage you're probably getting more like six or seven percent given where mortgage rates are now so that's not a bad option you're getting you're getting not only are you sleeping at night um, you're getting recompense for doing it so um, that's a consideration for those people who are, who are feeling um, uh, nervous in this market anyway back to Regis Resources uh, it's it's uh, an Australian gold miner it's based in WA. Uh, it has three main projects, uh, uh, and and each project I call them projects rather than mines because they tend to be a cluster of mines. So they've started off with one mine, and then they've done lots of exploration and drilling in the area and, and set up um, smaller satellite mines. I guess we'll call them in, in the area. But the the three clusters of mines. One is called Jukedon in WA. One is they own thirty percent of another one called Tropicana, which is. Uh, or a couple of hundred, 300 Ks northeast of Kalgoorlie in WA. And then they're developing a, uh, a mining area in New South Wales called McPhilion. And, uh, oh, sorry, McPhilamy. And uh, that's still in development and they're waiting for approvals for that. But if that comes online in the next year or two, that'll be a material increase in the amount of gold they can sell. Uh, they're back on the buy list this week. So that's one reason for doing a pulled pork on them. Um, I guess... the Companies who are selling gold at the moment are doing really well, and there's a number of gold companies on the buy list and a number of gold companies in my portfolio as well at the moment. Um, again, not by design, just, just how the buy list works. Uh, and I guess it makes sense because um, Regis Resources called out that they have been making about $600 an ounce margin on their their gold sales. Um, so the Australian gold price is up around 2400 an ounce. And they're, um, they're all in sustainable cost. For this company is around about $1,800 an ounce. So, you know, you're making a good margin even for um, uh, mines that, that may still be a high cost operation. And this isn't necessarily a low cost producer at $1,800 all in sustainable cost. But um, with the gold price at a high level, they, they're doing well. They haven't done well in the last year or two, and, and the reason for that is they got caught out by the rise in the gold price, uh, and they hedged their delivery. And this happens from time to time with all kinds of resource producers. They they feel a bit nervous about the gold price in this case, or any other commodity that they're having to, having to sell into the future, and they they um, contract to make delivery at a certain price, and so. In this case, it was just under $1,600 an ounce they were making delivery at, um, which is called hedging. And the hedging is almost finished. I think it's about all their contracts are about 70% delivered at the moment. And they've got a little bit to go next year and then they'll be fully unhedged. So they'll get, from next year onwards, they'll get the full value of that margin spread between the gold price and what their costs are. But it did mean that this year, in the latest results in June, they made a loss of some $24 million-odd odd dollars uh, because of the hedging, um, so I think that's the upside with this this company. I think that's why the share price is ticking up at the moment. A, the gold price is going up with all the uncertainty in the world, and B, the hedge book is almost delivered for this for this gold miner, so it'll start making full tote odds on their margins going forward. And I guess C, uh, if McPhillamy's gets um, gets a nod, then I, I can't see a reason why it wouldn't. Uh in the next couple of years they'll probably get another sort of twenty five to thirty percent boost in their sales so it's all kind of the the tailwinds are starting to to form behind this company uh going through the numbers I'm doing this on a share price of a dollar sixty four It's less than consensus target uh the company suspended dividends when it made a loss um, and they are saying they they're not going to pay a dividend in this half. They, they, they will think about bringing them back next year, but they're also balancing that up with the cost of bringing Mc, onto uh, into production online, and I guess, as quick as possible. So they may not pay dividends next year. Um, the prop cap for this company is currently sitting at 2.7 times. So I'm really focusing on the cash flow for this one. It made a loss last year, so you can't really look at the PE or um, IV1 or IV2, which all use earnings per share, which is negative, um, to get a valuation handle on things so we're not going to score any of those uh iv1 iv2 or pe um, we're going to focus on prop cap uh net equity per share we'll also focus on so net, net equity per share for this company is $2.04 which is above the share price of $1.64 so we can buy this at less than its its equity position which is a great thing to do and obviously less than book plus 30 so um, don't be surprised if the company before. It, pays dividends, weighs up a buyback as well. I think that would be on the agenda when they're, they're trading below its uh, net assets. Uh, we don't see any forecast earnings per share in Stock Doctor. And I found that quite strange because I looked it up in Stock Doctor and there are some 11 analysts covering this, um, this company. I'm, I didn't have a chance to go to all those individual stockbrokers and look up reports on the company. And I may not even be able to if I'm not a client of them all anyway. Um, but it seems surprising there's so many brokers covering this company and no one's providing an earnings per share forecast. So, I mean, hopefully we're getting in early to beat them, but I think that might be a bit of an uh, an error in, in Stock Doctor's process. And I know they have some policy around that. I think they need three brokers to provide an earnings per share forecast before they start publishing one. So it could be that. I'm not sure. Um, but we're not scoring, it. it's not scoring it for that, but that may hold back the score is I guess what I'm highlighting. Director's hold about 1.5%, so we're not scoring it um, for an owner-founder. Uh, we're giving it a zero in PE because um, it's negative at the moment. It has just become a new three-point uh, upturn, so we're giving it a one for that. It hasn't had consistently increasing equity. Not surprising if it made a loss last year because of its hedging. Uh, so all in all, not a great quality score, 9 out of 15 or 60%, but because of that cheap prop uh, cap, the price-to-operating cash flow ratio, it's getting a QAV score of 0.22. So it's, um, it's a large ADT stock of some $6 million and it's back on the buy list now with a QAV score of 0.22, largely based on valuation. I think this is one to, to trade as probably all gold stocks are in the long term. But, um, the risks for this company are there are as of next year, they'll be a hundred percent exposed to the gold price, which is happy days when the gold price is up like this. Um, but if they're, if their costs stay at around eighteen hundred dollars Australian um, to produce the gold, uh, then the share price can re- can retrace back to that kind of level pretty quickly and squeeze their margins. Um, they did highlight that eighteen hundred dollars they thought was a high cost this year, so uh, it's always it's always difficult to predict the secondary effects of going forward with this because if the gold price starts reducing, they'll probably start reducing their costs in line. So. They'll do whatever they can to maintain margin, but that's certainly a risk is the gold price retreating. I've said in my notes here there's a risk that if peace breaks out, this company will will uh, t- turn down. Uh, I'm not sure what the likelihood of that is, though. Uh, the other positive is McPhillamy's approval is somewhere in the next 12 months, and they can get that up up and running quickly after that, hopefully. Um, uh, uh, I, I did also highlight during my analysis, and I did this based on the U.S. gold price because it was in Stock Doctor rather than the Australian one, and people can look this up if they they've got Stock Doctor memberships. But um, the U.S. gold price, at least from sort of 2018 over the last five years, has gone from $1,200 U.S. an ounce up to $2,000, just under $2,000 U.S. an ounce. So you know that's that's not quite doubled. But it's been a big increase over the last five years. Um, so the trend is certainly suggesting the gold price will keep increasing. And perhaps that's been driven by increasing interest rates or just uncertainty in the world, but it's it's certainly an upward trend for a long time now. So anyway, there are the risks and the and the positives, and I think it's one to trade based on the gold price trend.
0: They added a couple of parcels of it yesterday. Yeah, to not surprising portfolios. Just came on. Yeah. Well, it was also one of the only things you could buy yeah. this week. You know. Again, not surprising
1: Spires. we can buy gold stocks at this stage of the cycle. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I think I've bought three in the last week. You know. Yeah. They've been some of the only things on there. That and GEM, G G-E-M, um, G8 Education, I think. Okay. It's a small cap stock, though, I think. Um, all right. Thank you for that, Regis. Well, will we, we do the questions? Yeah, sure. I'm good to go. Good to go. Uh, then we can talk about Mr. In-Between. Yeah, good. Um, <laughs> all Yeah. right. Alex, what have you got for us today from the listeners? I've got a question from Sam. Could TK comment on the performance of the AFI this calendar year? It has been a significant and material departure of their correlation to the XAOAI, which I had to look up. <laughs> it is the ASX All Odds Accumulation Index. Cheers, Sam.
1: Thanks, Sam. Good question, uh- and uh, as people know, I'm a fan of AFI as being a low-cost way of investing in the share market. It's been around for a very, very long time. has a very low management expense, expense ratio uh, around the sort of number that ETFs do or even lower than ETFs. Like It's like about 0.15%, something like that. Might be 0.2%, very low. Um, I can give you the, the sort of short answer as to what I think is happening. Uh, so I think the difference at the moment is that uh, rather than look at xaoai if people want to have a look at this along with us um, have a look at stw which is the the etf that tracks xaoai so it's the it's the um, asx 200 index with the dividends reinvested uh, which kind of is a good proxy to to benchmark yourself against uh, that hasn't um, well that's been performing a little bit better than than afi um, but they are both going down i i hasten to add and Um, If you look at the graph of the two of those two shares overlaid, they they tend to directionally go the same, but occasionally one will rise slightly above the other one. At the moment, the gap's widened a bit and STW is is above uh, AFI. And I think the reason is because one's a listed investment company, which is AFI, and one's an ETF. And okay, so the immediate difference is that um, the ETF every day tells you what the underlying assets are worth, so it does a mark-to-market valuation and then publishes it. And it has what's called a market maker sitting as part of its structure, buying and selling um, shares or options or futures, or I'm not sure how STW actually trades, but it basically uh, mimics the very closely the, the movements of the ASX200 um, on a daily basis. And so it sticks pretty close to that graph. Uh, if not exactly one-to-one correlation, it's pretty close. However, AFI is a, is a close-ended fund. So uh, what we're probably seeing at the moment is that people are saying uh, they, they're they selling out of AFI, um, possibly going into the ETF because it's performing better. Um, but what that means is that, S, uh, is that AFI, Australian Foundation Investments, will still have the same money invested in the, in the stock market because an ETF, every time someone sells a share, has to sell an underlying share or an underlying asset to pay that person out. Whereas um, when AFI trades, it's a, it's a shareholder trading with another shareholder and the underlying fund isn't, isn't forced to buy or sell. That means, though, that um, AFI can trade less than its net tangible assets or above its net tangible assets from time to time. At the moment, it's trading at less than NTA, and I think that's because people are selling because they're worried about the market, um, even though that's forcing the share price of AFI below market performance. That won't always happen, but it is at the moment, whereas SDW is tracking the market. Um, the other thing that's different between these two stocks at the moment is AFI's dividend yield is lower than STW. So I know AFI don't always um, try and track the market exactly. They do they do take sort of um, oversized or undersized positions in companies they like, um, but their yield is, is currently about 1% lower than STW. So we could even be seeing people sell out of AFI and buy STW if they're a, a retiree, for example, just to get a better yield. So I think that's what's happening. But if you look at the graphs directionally they both go in the same direction. Any follow up
0: questions, Alex? Just absorbing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I only ever look at the three point trend line <laughs> when I look at AFI for whether I, you know, want to buy into it or not. So I don't look at the macro <laughs> behind it. It's been a
1: sell for a while. It has been, yeah. I think the three three point trend line for yeah, has been a sell for a while, I think yeah. So, so. If that's what you're doing, that's good because you're sold out and you're probably sitting in cash waiting for it to be a buy again. Yeah. So that makes sense too. Perhaps that's what's happening um, in the market as well.
0: Mm-hmm. Cool. Thank you. Okay. Thank you, Alex. Okay, have a good week. Ya. Thanks for all your work on the buy list. Bye. Bye. Bye, Alex. And that's the end of the free episode of QAV for this week. If you're a new listener, I just should let you know how this works. So we have a free episode every week. runs for about half an hour. We have a premium episode also every week. It goes for another 30 to 60 minutes, depending on how many questions we get. It's where Tony answers questions from our club members. If you want to check out the premium episodes and all the other benefits of being a QAV club member, which is access to the checklist and, and the Bible and uh, the private Facebook groups and the other comms channels that we have, invites to the dinners, Zoom calls, etc., etc. Sign up for the two-week free trial and check out all that stuff out. You can do that at qavpodcast.com.au. Look for the um, free trial button there. And if you like the idea of value investing QAV style, but don't feel like you have the time or resources to learn how to do QAV for yourself, think about signing up for QAV Lite. That's our relatively new service where we send you the stock tips every week. And then we also monitor those stocks in a portfolio and if they become a sell, we email our QAV Lite members and tell them that it's time to sell that stock and what to replace it with. Check that out too. It's sort of a low effort way of doing QAV. Still better if you know how to do it yourself, I think, because Tony could get hit by a bus and then where are you? But while he's not, we can do this so check that out qavpodcast.com.au slash light l-i-g-h-t if you don't want to sign up to eat any of those just keep listening to the free episode and if you have any questions shoot me an email you'll find that on our website too All right. have a great week and good luck with your investing Until you
1: put-
0: QAV Podcast is a production of Spacecraft Publishing Proprietary Limited, authorised representative of AFSL 520442, AFS representative number 01292718. Please don't make any investment decisions based solely on listening to this podcast. This is presented as general advice only, not personal financial advice. We don't know your personal financial circumstances. Please see a financial planner before making any investing decisions.